What is up, everybody? I'm Dylan Pretemery, and welcome back to another episode of Top Shelf. Boy, did we have a lot going on this week. I have so much to talk about, lots of things I want to discuss. Might not even be able to fit everything into this episode in a reasonable time. We're going to discuss the start of Black History Month and what the NHL is doing, how COVID has been affecting this league, what is going on with Tony D'Angelo and the New York Rangers, and of course, my three stars of the week, and some other stuff. Before we hop into the intro, I want to share a cool statistic you may or may not have seen. On Saturday, January 30th, for the first time, we saw three first overall picks score overtime winners on the same night. Even more impressive, it was done within 12 minutes of real time. So at 9.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Sidney Crosby scored an overtime goal for the Penguins to win their game. He was the first overall pick in 2005. At 9.36 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Alex Ovechkin, who was the 2004 first overall pick, scored an overtime winner. And at 9.47, Connor McDavid for the Edmonton Oilers, who was a 2015 first overall pick, scored an overtime winner. Just thought that was an actually interesting and unique statistic, unlike the ones where it's like, this player is the first score a backhander on a Sunday afternoon against a Swedish goaltender or something like that. Anyways, just that was cool. So I'd share it with y'all. Let's just hop right on into this next episode of Top Shelf. Hit it. So for those of you who don't know, February is Black History Month, where we honor and remember important people and events that fought for equality. This month, the National Hockey League Players Association, the NHLPA, and the NHL will celebrate Black History Month with a variety of content talking about the contributions of players and other pioneers. They will be pushing out content online, on their website, channel, social media accounts. Black History Month are a part of hockey is for everyone, which is a year-round NHL and NHLPA initiative celebrating diversity and inclusion in hockey. This will highlight the voices and experiences of Black, Indigenous, Asian, Hispanic, and LGBTQ plus individuals, women and girls, and other underrepresented groups in the game as well are included. Like I mentioned in episode three, the NHL, along with Gray TV, will be distributing copies of Willie which is a documentary about Willie O'Ree who broke the color barrier in the NHL to thousands of schools and across tens of thousands households, local channels. Willie is designed to enable teachers, students, families, coaches, fans, and community organizations to learn more about social justice and racism by highlighting themes from the documentary, such as representation, allyship, and the power of words. Also previously mentioned, the Bruins will retire O'Ree's number 22 on February 8th. Be sure to tune in, check that out. It will probably be a great moment. Throughout the month, the NHL is going to be sharing stories from individuals like Grant Furr, Drew McGinla, Blake Bolden, Sarah Nurse, Angela James, and many others who will highlight memorable moments from influential male and female Black players, both on and off the ice, and talk about how the hockey community can be more inclusive. For any more details, visit the website nhl.com slash black history. I think this is a very well done job by the NHL, especially where 
They know many more people are at home and might have more free time to check out the Willie documentary, which I plan on doing when I can find the free time in my schedule to do so. It's available on Peacock, Prime Video, and iTunes. Once again, not sponsored, but totally open to it if you want to hit me up. Also, in a time where social justice is at the forefront of everything nowadays, I think it's important that the NHL, with their platform, do inform their audience. Willie O'Ree, along with other notable people of color like Kamala Harris and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, have received the COVID vaccine uh, in hope to get rid of the fear and concerns about the vaccine, where in a poll, only about 42% of Black people said they would definitely or probably get the vaccine. Willie O'Ree said that he hopes that with um, him getting the vaccine that people will see, oh, if he's getting it, then maybe with his such outwards, like, especially in this month, Willie O'Ree's been getting a lot of praise in the hockey community. So with a lot of people looking up to him, maybe they'll think, oh, if he's getting the vaccine, so can I. Speaking of COVID, this past week, COVID has had quite a lot to say in team schedules. The Golden Knights have seen three of their games postponed due to positive tests from four players and a staff member, including defenseman Alex Petrangelo. Their second game against the Blues and both games against the Sharks have been postponed to a later date. The Devils also had their games until February 9th postponed due to multiple players failing or falling, excuse me, into the COVID protocol list. The Sabres have also just recently had their games against the Islanders postponed and won't resume play up until February 11th up against the Capitals, meaning they will have four games to make up, two against the Islanders and two against the Bruins. Buffalo and New Jersey did play each other on back-to-back nights, the 30th and 31st, which could have led to the cause of outbreak and players in COVID protocol between the two teams. So far this season, there have been 16 games rescheduled, and two were rescheduled prior to the season even beginning. However, we have not seen the season been extended at all, and it still stands that the last game will be May 10th. We'll see how this progresses throughout the season, but as of right now, it just means that teams might be playing more back-to-backs and having more condensed schedules, which could lead to more injury, so I wouldn't be surprised to see some depth players being healthy scratched and back-to-backs or even an occasional star just taking one game off just for health. In good news, the San Jose Sharks are finally returned into their home facility on Monday after five weeks on the road after restrictions for contact sports in Santa Clara was lifted. The team had taken advantage of the postponed game against the Golden Knights uh, to practice finally in their home facility. The Sharks, who are currently 3-5-0 in their first eight, sit last in the West, but maybe coming home will give them a chance to settle in and get going. In my opinion, I see that as very unlikely. I feel the Sharks have tried to make playoff pushes and last made the playoffs in the 2017-2018 season. Uh, they have Mark Edward Vlasic signed an eight-year, $7 million average going into the 2018-2019 season. It's just not, a, not really a good contract, in my opinion. Um, he's going to be on that deal until he's 38 into the 2025-2026 season. Someone who hasn't really been that impressive and definitely not worth the eight-year deal. Another player... And kind of similar to this for the Sharks is Brett Burns, 
who they signed to an eight-year, $8 million average back in 2017. Uh, that's going to take him to 2024-2025 season. Now Burns, much deserving of the $8 million. Like, I, don't get me wrong. He produces. He's amazing. He's great. But again, he's he got the term of eight years. And at the end of his contract, it's he's going to be 40 years old. And I don't think that in 2024, 2025, he's going to be worth that, nor will Edward Vlasic, who makes $37 million. I could talk more about the San Jose Sharks cap situation and how I think they're in an awful position. And I guess that's why they're just trying to push for the playoffs and just because they're not going to be able to really rebuild or anything. They'd have to move away those contracts. But with them tied up in about $26.5 million into three of their demon for the at least next six season, I, I can't see them really doing much maybe just squeaking into the playoffs, but most likely not making a deep run. Next, we're going to talk about a few individual players. Patrick Line made his debut for the Columbus Blue Jackets last night. In their 6-3 loss to the Dallas Stars, Line put up zero points, seven shots, with only two on target and a negative two. In post-game interview, Line A admitted that his legs, hands, and everything just weren't there tonight, but said that's no excuse that he's here to play. And it's understandable that he'll need some time to adjust into Columbus. Uh, he hadn't played in 19 days. He just had one morning skate with the team. However, his time to when he can return back to whom he is, it can't be long if Columbus Blue Jackets want to make the chance to make the playoffs. Line A is going to be their top player. He's going to need to score goals. He's going to have to help out on the power play. Line A did start the game with Texier and Atkinson before Tortorella tried switching things up, throwing him with Ross Levick, his teammate back in Winnipeg that got sent over in the trade as well, and with veteran Miku Koivu. I still, he, he played Domi on the wing. I still think he should move Domi back to center and that Domi should center that line of Felino and line A. I think Tortorella did say that he's not going to coach, uh, or he's not going to coach line A any differently than he would have coached Dubois. He's not changing his coaching style. Tortorella is very stubborn like that. He has a way of going. And I think line A can play into it, but I think that he's got to play him with a, with a top guy. Like, you got to play him with Domi. Max Domi is probably your next best player. I think that's the reason Line A wasn't happy. If you want that player to sign long-term, you got to keep that player happy. As much as hockey is a team sport and everyone matters on the team, you got to keep your top dog happy, especially with his contract expiring at the end of next season and the team needing to negotiate and try and sign him long-term for that deal to have been worth it. Dubois, on the other hand, is still stuck in quarantine in Canada. Having the stricter guidelines, like I said, it was going to be a problem to cross over the border. Uh, he has to do his quarantining for four, 14 days before he can play. The Jets are trying to get permission to speed up his quarantine. However, it looks like Dubois could miss up to seven games for the Jets, which is huge because that is 12.5% of the season because of this year's shortened schedule. And it's even bigger because every single game is a four-point affair with you playing someone in your division. However, with how the Jets have been playing recently, they should be able to manage for those couple games without Dubois. It's expected that he can make his debut somewhere around the ninth against the Flames, or worst case scenario, seems like it's going to be the 11th up against the Senators. We'll keep a close eye on 
when Dubrov finally makes his debut and how he turns out in his debut compared to how Line A did. David Pasternak has returned from injury and made his return to the Boston Bruins lineup. In his first game back, he managed an assist in their 4-3 overtime loss to the Washington Capitals, and Zdeno Chara had his return up against the Boston Bruins. In, in that game, they won 4-3 in overtime. Chara gets his win up against the Bruins. In the next game, after the Capitals took a 3-0 lead, including a goal from Big Z in his second game against the Boston Bruins, they were up 3-0. But Pasternak helped to lead a five-unanswered-goal comeback, snagging two of his own in that game to split the series 1-1 in the two-game series for the Boston Bruins. Having Pasternak back will be vital for the Bruins. The Czech man who co-won the Maurice Richard last year for most goals and has only been improving each season with the Bruins. As a key player who sets up on the power play for one-timers and completes one, if not the best, line in the NHL, the Bruins are ready to roll. And I would also just like to say to any of the haters out there, yes, I'll be defending my Bruins here. People who say Marshawn is only good because he has pasta, Bergeron's only good because he's got Pashnok and Marshawn, and that Bergeron's only still good because of his wingers. Just be quiet. Bergeron is an established star in one of the best two ways of all time, and he's still doing it to now, still getting nominated for the Selkie Trophy. Pashnok is an elite goal scorer who has proven he's able to do it year in and year out. He's able to do it with Krejci. He did it for a little bit. When Bergeron's gone out with injury, he's fine with Krejci. He can do it himself. And Marshawn. I know people love to hate on Marshawn, and I've seen people who wouldn't rank Marshawn in their top five left wingers in the NHL right now. Marshawn, who in the last three seasons has put up 87 and 70 games, 100 points in 79 games, and 85 points in 68 games. If he hypothetically played 82 games each of those seasons, I know last season wouldn't have happened because of COVID, but if he was to play 82 games in those past three seasons, he would be on track to average 102 points a season. Now, that's not someone who just gets help from two other good players on their line. Anyways, enough of my tangent on the Bruins because I'll defend them till the day I die. Next player I want to discuss is Tony D'Angelo. According to Rangers GM Jeff Gordon, D'Angelo has played his last game as a Ranger. Gordon and Rangers president John Davidson did confirm that there was an altercation between D'Angelo and Georgiev in their 5-4 overtime loss to the Penguins. Now, I watched back the film of that game, and it looked like in that overtime that down behind the net, Georgiev and D'Angelo did have somewhat of a miscommunication with Georgiev swinging the puck around the boards, to which the Penguins did pick up the puck. And after a little bit of cycling and shots, it did lead to their goal. Now, I, I'm, I'm, it happens. Like, miscommunication happens. Teammates get angry at each other. Like, we've seen fights and practices and stuff. But in that remaining 30 seconds, D'Angelo put in no effort there. This shot, the person who took the shot was right in front of him. He didn't go down. He didn't try and block it or anything. But anyways... The altercation happened as they were walking back to the locker room. And it supposedly resulted in Chris Kreider breaking up the fight between the two. And D'Angelo was immediately dropped down into the Rangers taxi squad where he 
cleared waivers, meaning no team wanted to take him on. Uh, he will not be with the organization, even though he's in the taxi squad. He's just placed there. They're planning to move him to another team and let him continue to play elsewhere. He's got two years left. He'll His contract will be up next season. He's on 4.8 a year. He only has one assist this year, but the 25-year-old did put up 53 points in 68 games last year. This isn't a one-time thing, though, for D'Angelo. He had other issues in the Rangers locker room and was told if he had any more issues by the GM, he wouldn't play for the team at all. And they stuck to that, and I think the Rangers are doing very well in handling this. The last thing you want is a toxic person in your dressing room who is just creating bad chemistry for the team, especially in a sport like hockey where there's absolutely no room for any diva stuff. No one's above the team. Hockey is one of the most team sports where you can't have too much of an ego without appreciating your teammates. A reason why you don't see many players asking out of their teams are because they're getting paid more, paid less than the other guy. They just want to go out, hit some guys, score some goals, and play. Uh, now, it's uncertain if any team will give him a chance, as he did pass waivers, and most GMs wouldn't want to go after a guy who might have some bad history in a locker room that already has good history or good chemistry right now. And in hockey, chemistry is everything you, you want your players all to appreciate each other and go out there and be willing to run through a brick wall for their teammate, which we see many of them do by stepping up and fighting for their teammates. So unless it's a team that might be desperate and trying to go after and need that offensive D-man, I, I don't see any team taking him on this season, maybe in the offseason. Hopefully he can change his ways. He's a very talented player on the ice, but off the ice he's had some issues, and that's still a big big factor into sports because you need good chemistry in your locker room. The final topic I want to cover before we get into my three stars of the week is check in on some rookies this year. So about four after four hours after I recorded my last episode asking when Lafreniere would score, he got his first goal and overtime winner. Of course, you ask, you shall receive. It is his only point in nine games, though, so we'll see if getting that first goal will break the ice and get him going. One guy who I had no idea about, or actually I didn't even realize he was a rookie, I'd been watching highlights and his name kept popping up and popping up and popping up, is Nils Hoglander. What a name, by the way. He was drafted 40th overall in the second round in the 2019 NHL entry draft. He plays on the Vancouver Canucks, and he has three goals and three assists in 13 games, so far, and he leads all rookies in takeaway. Uh, in my opinion, from what I've been seeing, he's looked phenomenal. He's been playing on a line with Tanner Pearson and Bo Horvat. He's had great bursts of speed, really good breaking up the ice. He's averaging 14 minutes and 16 seconds time on ice per game. He's looked very good. Should be a great top six forward, I think. We'll see how he continues to play this season. Next, I'm going to talk about Philip Kurishev. He's been a surprise for the Blackhawks after scoring a hat-trick and then being promoted onto the top line with Patrick Kane, which can only boost his morale. He has four goals and an assist in his first two games, but all of his points have come in only two games. Next are my two top dogs, who are currently competing for the Calder, in my opinion. 
number one is Capriol Caprisov, Caprisov, excuse me, who I ranked as the second best with odds to win the Calder, only behind Lafreniere, who has kind of struggled to come out the gate firing. Kaprizov has been very good bolstering a wild team, which I was uncertain about, about how they would do. I figured with the division that they're in is a bit weaker that they would make the playoffs, but they've actually looked quite well, fallen off in the past couple of games, but he has three goals and six assists for a plus four, where the wild are third in the West. My biggest surprise so far has been Ty Smith. Ty Smith was drafted 17th in the 2018 NHL entry draft by the New Jersey Devils. And has he been impressing with his eight points? It's second among rookies, only trailing Kaprizov. He's got two goals and six assists in nine games, which is two games less than Kaprizov. So technically you could give the edge to Ty Smith there. He's been a tremendous power play quarterback for the Devils team, who has shocked us with Blackwood's amazing start. Ty Smith is looking like He's going to be real good. I, I've loved how he's played. He moves the puck so well. He takes good shots. Uh, I, I would watch out for him. He he could very well, if he continues to keep up with this with this pace, he could very win, well win the Calder this year. Finally, I'm going to get into my three stars of the week. Let's hop right on into it. So at number three, it's Canadians' Jeff Petrie. In his last four games, he's put up three goals and three assists in a plus three. Petrie's been a huge part of the Canadians' hot start. Last week, they were ranked number one in the power rankings. I think they're somewhere around four this, this time. Uh, the Canadians have had such a good start. He does it all for them on the power play, penalty kill, even strength. He's looked like a top demon out there. In those four games, the Canadians were three and one. Jeff Petrie is going to be a huge part of his Canadian team's leading in front of Carey Price and Jay Gallen, who's also been playing well, a good acquisition for the Canadians. Canadians are looking like a very, very scary team to play up against. They look like they want it out there, and Jeff Petrie's leading them. Number two and number one on this kind of go together here. It's the Oilers, Dreisaitl and McDavid. The two have combined for 23 points in their last four games where they've gone three and one, including the high scoring eight to five win over the Senators, where McDavid put up a goal and four assists and Dreisaitl put up six assists. Across this four game span, McDavid has 12 points and Dreisaitl has 11. So McDavid, I guess, will just grab my one star and Dreisaitl will take the two. However, I could switch it because McDavid, I think, has seven power play points where Dreisaitl has five and Dreisaitl is a plus six. So you can kind of go either way. I'm going to put McDavid just because he's got that extra point over Dreisaitl. And finally, to close it out, I'm going to do the league leaders, of course, just to let you know where everyone sits with their points. So for leading rookies and points, of course, we have Capriol Kaprizov with nine points. Leading the NHL with points is Connor McDavid with a whopping 24 points right now. For goals, we have Tyler Toffoli, who has nine goals for his brand new team, the Montreal Canadiens. For assists is McDavid with 16 assists. For goaltender stats, goalie Peter Mrazek leads in both goals against and save percentage with a .99 goals against and a .955 save percentage. And for shutouts, Varlamov, Mrazek, Gibson, Markstrom, and Grubauer all have two on the season. So that is going to do it for this episode. 
in the NHL. So, so much going on. Make sure to tune in and see what the NHL is doing during Black History Month and watch really as I will. COVID is starting to hit a little bit harder in the NHL, so we're going to see what they can do to contain it. Lots of players are coming back from injury, and we'll see how they impact their team. I think Vladimir Tarasenko is expected to return soon. And the Calder race this year looks to be shaping up to be quite a great one. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to follow me here on Spotify. I'll catch you all next week for another episode of Top Shelf. Bye.